Hey friends, guess what? I've got a new book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide on March 8th called Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. This book is based on something I call genealogical regressions because sometimes when I'm working with clients, I go into their past lives and I realize this is not the source event of the challenge. We need to send light and love to ancestors in order to make our lives the wonderful places that we want to be. So I hope you'll check out my new book and stay tuned for class announcements, book signings, and more as March gets closer. Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life coming March 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Greetings, greetings, greetings. So I hope you're having an amazing week. I am so happy that springtime is finally upon us. And so let's just begin the episode this week by doing our little meditation. And then I'm going to tell you all about my amazing guest today. Let's take a moment now and just close our eyes. Take a deep healing breath in through your nose and exhale. And allow a beautiful beam of light to come down through the top of your head. It's moving down, 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 through the body, through the legs and feet. Allow the light to pour out of your heart center creating a lovely golden ball of light that surrounds you by about three feet in all directions. Just imagine that you can be wrapped up by this loving light and that within the light, only that which is of highest good can come through. Take a moment while you're bathing in the golden light to scan the body and go ahead now and just breathe in to any areas of tension. Just breathing in and exhaling tensions and let go of tension and know that all is well. Very good. 
And when you're ready, just open your eyes and come back into the room. All right. I always feel better when we just meditate, even though it's just for a minute. I think it just helps to shut the outer world out so that we can relax. Speaking of relaxing and having fun, I hope you're going to love my friend Janice Susan May Patterson. And we're going to talk all about the reason why she has so many names. <laughs> She's literally one of my BFFs. She's one of the most interesting people I know. She's somebody that you need to know. She is the real deal. She's a real Egypt expert. She's been there. And one of the things that she will disclose during our time together today on the show is what is really under the paw of the Sphinx in Giza. Janice Susan has such an eclectic background. I think you're going to have a ton of fun hearing what she has to say. And make sure you listen to the very end of the show because I'm going to tell you something super funny that happened to me after we did this interview because we recorded this a little while ago. So, And what I'm also reminding you of here is that this is um, she is a fiction author. And so in this particular season that you're listening to, because I'm going to be running seasons kind of simultaneously based on what kind of an author this is. But I do want to acknowledge some of our fiction writers because, you know, unless we're Stephen King, they don't always get a chance to be heard. And there's some really amazing and super interesting people out there. And I have a lot of friends who are different kinds of writers because um, they're in some of my writers groups that I belong to over the years. So I hope you will have fun. So settle in and let's check out Janice Susan May Patterson. Hey friends. So welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So when I started this show, obviously I do like to talk about metaphysical subjects, but arts means arts and that means writing. And I've got a lot of friends who write fiction, including my next guest who you are going to adore, uh, my friend, Janice Susan May also writes under Janice Susan Patterson. She writes romance novels. She's one of the founding members of Romance Writers of America, which I belonged to many years ago. And now we are in a mystery group together and she writes under, under her kind of married name, Janice Susan Patterson. She writes about Egypt because she is an Egyptian expert and she's one of the most interesting people I know, my dear friend. Janice Susan, all right, who I call Susan. You've got so many names, Susan. I don't. I, what what do you, you use for international espionage when you're doing that? Well, actually, my legal name is Janice Susan May Patterson. I write romance and horror as Janice Susan May. I write children's as Janice Susan Patterson. I write mystery as Janice Patterson, and nonfiction and scholarly as JSM Patterson. So my next question is, to which of me do you want to talk to? Oh my gosh, I want to talk to them all, but I think okay. this it's, group- It's is... for fun and profit is what it is. <laughs> the group here loves Egypt. And to me, you Who are one of my Egypt, Egypt experts. I would hardly call myself an expert. I am a dedicated amateur. I have, I don't remember, literally, I do not remember a time 
when I was not fascinated by Egypt. By the time I was 10 years old, I had read every book on Egyptology in the Dallas Public Library system. Of course, when I was 10 years old, there were a lot fewer books on Egyptology. (laughs) But um, Dallas is pretty much an Egyptological wasteland. We don't have a school that has an Egyptological track. Our Museum of Fine Arts, I think, has 10 objects tucked away in the corner of the Africa exhibit. So a bunch of friends, when the Ramses exhibit came here in 88, I went to work for it. And when it ended, I wouldn't go away. I kept coming back, so they put me on salary. I think I got a magnificent $40 for two weeks. But I got a splendid title. I was the cultural liaison to the Egyptian delegation. Oh my God. Which translates to (laughs) B-A-B-Y-S-I-T-T-E-R. All the Egyptian bigwigs who came to see the closing down of the exhibit were my charge. I took them shopping. I took them to lunch. I took them to all the parties and there were two or three parties a night. It was interesting because half of them spoke no English and I had five whole words of Arabic. But it was, we managed, we managed. That's when I first met Zahi Hawass and he's been a friend to this day. Um, Then in 92, some of the survivors of the Ramses exhibit and I decided we wanted more Egyptology. So in the den of the house where I'm sitting now, I'm in the parlor. But in the den, uh, the house then belonged to my late mother. Uh, We got a bunch of us survivors together and started the North Texas chapter of the American Research Center in Egypt. Wow. We had our, we were the fifth chapter in the world or in the States. I'm not sure about the world. Uh, We had our first meeting in April, our first uh, organizational meeting in April of 92, and we were sort of undecided as where to go, and we looked into all kinds of variants and possibilities and finally decided to go with RC. Uh, We published our first newsletter, we published (laughs) our first newsletter in January of 93. We had our first public meeting in February of 93, and the group is still active. This is the one at SMU, right? The now yeah. at SMU? Well, let's face it, since this damn Chinese plague came, we haven't had meetings, but we stay right. in touch and the new editor of the newsletter gets it out. We get a, uh, the, the, it's still viable. We just aren't physically meeting. But right. I ran the newsletter pretty much by myself. And this was uh, before I had a computer. I was doing it with type scissors and um, rubber cement. <laughs> but I ran it for nine years. And during those nine, the nine years of my reign, and I choose that word deliberately because it was a monarchy. It was accepted as a scholarly journal. And I mean, this is like a four sheet stapled in the upper left corner handout, printed <laughs> both sides, eight pages four sheets, eight pages, stapled. 
but it was accepted as a scholarly publication by about 25 or 30 universities and libraries across the world. We mailed to 14 countries. And interior politics plus exhaustion, plus I married, plus my mother died, plus life. I gave it up and then we didn't have one for a while. And it has never really come back to the standards that I set, which saddens me. And I've been offered it several times since then. And I'm going, no, just no, mm -hmm. you can't go back. Besides I'd gone on to other things. I was writing full time. I, I sold my first novel to Dale, a romantic suspense called Where Shadows Linger set in Mexico in 1979. Wow. Which makes me old. You're a baby. <laughs> <laughs> a child. A baby fossil, perhaps. <laughs> oh but uh, like you said, I was one of the founders of the Romance Writers of America. I'm still a uh, on the books as a charter member and a founder. Yeah. I'm not involved with them much because these days I'm doing more I, well, I've been told many times I'm much more comfortable with dead bodies than live ones. So I switched over to mystery. But for purposes of branding, I mean, I want my fans to be able to look at a book and tell what they're getting. If they pick up a Janice Susan May, it's either a romance or a horror. And the, because I started writing both those early, but the cover should differentiate that. Right. When I married and I decided I wanted to go into murder, I chose to <laughs> use my regular name of my legal name of Janice Patterson for three reasons. First of all, it is my legal name. It appears on my driver's license and my passport and my Sam's card and all the important things in life. It honors my wonderful husband who supports me and always has, even though he doesn't read my books, but if it makes you happy, honey, you can have it. <laughs> and third, if with any luck at all, I will be shelved next to James Patterson. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, you know, I have to mention your lovely husband who is absolutely wonderful and adorable. And the thing, when you and I first met, you know, one of the things I always remember about you is the fact that you two met later in life and you've just had such a beautiful romance and you've almost been married now for almost 20 years. I was a first time adorable. bride. I was a first time bride, never been married, never wanted to marry, met him three weeks later. I was looking at wedding dresses. There he is. made me wait three years, the son of a so-and-so, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Anyway. <laughs> He is so good. And we'll talk more about him later because, you know, I'll tell you the story of how he proposed to me in Egypt. Oh, my gosh. That is yes. so romantic. Yes. Anyway, back up one minute. I was a founder of RWA. I currently and have for several years sat on the regional board of the Mystery Writers of America. So that's part of my bona fides if you need them. Anyway, like I said, I was always fascinated in Egypt, loved Egypt. Uh, life sort of conspired to keep me from going to Egypt until 92. And I went with my mother. Wow. Now I have learned 
that a fat, blue-eyed blonde, and I was blonde in those days, determinedly so, <laughs> can do no wrong in an Arab country. I mean, fat, blue-eyed blondes rule, or they did in 92. So I was wondering why everybody was staying away from me and all the men were like, mm, stay away, stay away. So I just happened to turn around one day and there was my mother who was six feet tall, slender and beautiful and very imposing. Any man who came within six feet of me got the stare. So no fun on that trip. <laughs> but in 2001, the husband and I had been dating. Well, we met through Egyptology because he came to the very first meeting of the North Texas chapter of Romance of uh, American Research Center in Egypt. And I got to know him and we knew each other for six years, just casually, the way you know somebody in an organization, you'd say hello over the refreshment table. And that was about it. Right. Then he wanted to borrow a certain book that I had. And I was thinking, oh, goody, he'll come over and maybe I can get him to stay and talk for 30 minutes because the man did not talk. No. I mean, he was the strong, silent type. Uh, he ended up staying eight hours and neither one of us ever dated anybody ever again. So cute. So in 2000, he was going to be 50. And I planned this big surprise party for his birthday. And he looked at me and says, nope, I want to be in Egypt on my 50th birthday. We're going to go to Egypt. And I'm going, okay, all righty, we can do that. So I canceled all the party and we took off for Egypt. We rented a flat in Giza. From the roof of the flat, you could see Western desert. And we were about six minutes walk from the Sphinx. It was a working class neighborhood and first couple of days there, we got a lot of weird glances like, are they missionaries? What are they? But our host and hostess who owned the building vouched for us. She took me shopping. She spoke no English. I spoke five words of Arabic, which by the way were Nam, yes. No, Nam is yes. La is no, Shukran, is thank you. Uh, I've forgotten now, I haven't used Arabic in years. But anyway, the last one, it was please, thank you, yes, no, and yimkin, which means maybe. That was from my earlier trips to the Middle East. <laughs> it's a very valuable word. So Indeed. for his birthday, while I didn't want to pack up a present from the States, take it over there, have him open it on his birthday, say, oh yeah, that's a present, pack it back up and take it home. Right. So I got him a really nifty little card. And I said, I would take him to dinner at the Mina house, which is a five-star Oberoi hotel, hot and cold running luxury that started life as a Khedive's love nest. And being a romantic, I told him I wanted to be kissed in the gardens of the Mina Hotel because they have the most beautiful English gardens that pretty much out English the English gardens. So we got there and walked around and went to the telephone room and called all our friends in Cairo to tell us, tell them that we were there. 
And finally he said, okay, let's go to the gardens and get this over with. Okay. I didn't know being kissed would bring about such a reaction. But on the other hand, I'm very pragmatic. I was 54 years old. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> so we went out. Now the Mina Hotel is across the road from the pyramids. It's dark, they're floodlit. There's a three quarter moon floating in the sky. And we walk around for a while till we find this beautiful European flowering mimosa. And the European mimosas have a sweet, sweet perfume smell. And he kissed me. Oh boy, did he kiss me. He's a very good kisser. This is so romantic. And when I was trying to catch my breath, he said, I waited until we were here to tell you I want you for my wife. Oh, how romantic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he just went up even further on my pedestal that I have for him. Oh, I had nothing to do with it. All I did was nod. <laughs> that is so But Salima Ikram, when, when we told her about it, Salima's been a dear friend for, I'm not gonna say how many years, but for an engagement present, she took us back into the mummy lab and left us. Oh my God, I wonder. We were there about three, three and a half hours. Her only thing was enjoy, but don't touch. <laughs> I was this far away from Sipta. Nothing in between. Sipta was lying there and I could have touched him with my nose. I didn't, but I could have. Wow. Um, somebody, Nigel, I think it was, was uh, excavating at Theban Tomb 99 on the West Bank in Luxor. We went and spent a week in Luxor. And he'd come to RC several times to lecture. And so we went by to see him. And he was so impressed that we had gotten engaged that he put it on the Cambridge Dig Diary for that day. It's still up on the internet. And at the time I didn't have the internet, so I couldn't see it, but it was up, it's still up there. And he took a picture of us and you know it had to be true love because you never saw two scruffier people in your life. <laughs> I had worn some long, um, khaki pants and they were too long they kept catching I couldn't move well in them and we were scrambling over rocks and down cliffs and things like that so one night I said I'm just going to cut the legs off <laughs> except I had no scissors except a pair of toenail scissors you know the kind that are about this long but the blades the are curved blade <laughs> no it was straight blade but they were about they were less than an inch long oh lord <laughs> that must have taken a while. All night long. Snip, 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 <laughs> snip, snip, snip. Had nothing to hem them with and they just frayed. I mean, it was, I looked like a bag lady. <laughs> he still loved me. That and is we came, adorable. We came home, got married the next April. We've been to Egypt several times since then. In 10, we went in a tour that was comprised, except for one or two people, of our local RC chapter and led by Gail Gibson of the ROM, mm. who um, the tour was fixated on what we wanted to see. We didn't go to any of the regular tourist assignments. And Zahi gave us his imprimatur, which meant we could go anywhere. Wow. Oh, I forgot to tell you, on our engagement trip, uh, Zahi was still head of the Giza Plateau and we went by to see him. Wow. And he said, you two just got engaged. I will give you a present. 
you can go down in the tomb of Osiris, which had only been discovered the year before. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't do ladders. I, because of an old crash, I have a weakness in my legs and I, you went down like six different ladders. Now Hiram was a Navy man and he's up and down ladders like I go across the floor. So he went down. I stayed up and got into my own trouble, but it was fantastic. He took lots and lots of pictures when it had not been seen by the public. Wow. We got to wander around in the uh, village of the workman that Mark Laner discovered. Mm -hmm. Mark's a dear friend too. Um, wow. Magical, magical. And at, show you segue into the writing, we had been up at Gebel Silsila, the place of the chain on the, we were staying in Luxor. This is up towards Aswan, but not too far. Mm -hmm. And it is a rock quarry that is one of the, I think the two or three places in Egypt where it is, there are carvings of Amenhotep IV, not of Akhenaten. They missed them when they eradicated all the old statues. Lots of interesting tales from there, but we were coming back headed toward uh, Luxor mm -hmm. and we passed a place called El Cobb and they have a necropolis that is open to the public. So we got out and uh, you know, you have to pay a couple of, of uh, pounds, probably 50 cents a person, something like that. And we didn't go very far because we didn't have much time, but there were four tombs up on this plateau that have been open since the Middle Ages. And in one of the tombs, there is a graffito written in what some of the people on the tour thought was archaic Phoenician. I mean, I know people who speak and read archaic Phoenician, but it hasn't been translated until Eugene Cruz Uribe translated it about, I don't know, six or eight years ago, not too long before he was killed. But wow. it is a very degraded and eccentric form of demotic. And it basically was Kilroy was here. Nothing magical or interesting about it, but the graffito stuck in my mind. And I started getting a, an idea for a story. Of course, everything, including scrambled eggs, gives me an idea for a story. <laughs> so we got home and I had contracts, but this story idea wouldn't let go of me. So finally, I thought, okay, I'll write it. But I couldn't remember what tomb it was in. So I started calling the people who'd been on the tour to see if they remember. Now, this is like two years later. And nobody, rem well, everybody remembered, but they all remembered something different. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was tallying the votes. <laughs> figuring, you know, whichever one got the most was it. <laughs> so I'm a, absolute bear when it comes to accuracy right if it's historic it needs to be accurate so i'm on a, a list serve called the eef the egyptian exploration forum run by a lovely man named aiko aima who lives in uh, the netherlands so i don't know how i got on there because it's all working professionals i mean i must i just sort of crept in and hid in the corner and listened but I put out a general call for help, you know, explaining the problem, explaining what I wanted and where it was. And I heard back from a bunch of people. Of course, you ask eight Egyptologists a question, you get 10 answers in a fist fight. But two of the <laughs> answers stood out. 
One was from Jane Akshar, a lovely lady who lived in, uh, a Brit expat who lived in Luxor and owned holiday flats where you rented a flat mm. by the week or by the day or whatever. And she didn't know, but she said she could ask around. And she became my researcher on site for all things Egyptian because like, how far is it, how long does it take to go from Cairo to Beni Suf by train? Stuff that you only know from living there, you can't figure out from being on the, the internet. Right. The other was from Dr. Dirk Hug, who is uh, uh, one of the curators of the Royal Belgian Museum of Art and History, as well as being the managing director of the Belgian archeological mission to El Cal. Wow. And we started a correspondence and he quite frankly said, I don't know which tomb it is, just make one up. <laughs> so he and Jane and I, were both were I was corresponding with each of them all through the writing they uh, gave me the help he gave me permission to do all kinds of things that we would never let happen in a tomb like gunshots and fire and making love and other things <laughs> we can't and wait to get our hands on this book it's called the Egyptian file it's available uh in ebook from all the major retailers. It's not expensive. I think it's $4.99. I had more fun on that book. And the blessing is that Jane and Dirk both stayed good friends. Wow. And Dirk and I were corresponding. And he says, you know, you ought to write a book about El Cobb. He says, you know, the dig house is haunted. The, the dig house is the retirement mansion of the Egyptologist Somers Clark, who was an Englishman. And it's a core, it's in terrible shape. It needs a lot of restoration, but it is gorgeous. I mean, I took one look at it and said, let me get my toothbrush and I'll never leave. <laughs> Very primitive, but oh, you know, there are places that make your heart sing. And there's a big, yes. beautiful terrace that is on a bluff overlooking the Nile. Mm. We got to stay for four days. And believe me, tourists never get to stay at dig houses. He had wow. to go through three levels of the Egyptian bureaucracy. And you know what a horror that can be. Right to uh, get us permission to stay. And we could have stayed longer except the BBC was coming in and it's not that big a house. And when we went for that, well, uh, I was saying, oh, that's wonderful. He says, well, you know, our dig season goes from March something to April something. He says, we need to pick you a date so I can fit you in. I said, well, honestly, I don't know if the husband will be interested or not. Cause you know, we're, getting older and he's talking about retirement and we're being very careful about our money, but I'll put it to him. So my first, my desk sits right by the front door and I just wasted the rest of the afternoon thinking of every argument he could throw up and every counter argument I could give him. I mean, I had a whole script ready and he came through the door from work and I said, hi, darling, Dirk has asked us to come stay at El Cobb. And I think, and he said, when do we leave? <laughs> and that was January 15th, I think. And I think March 19th, we were in Egypt. 
See, he just went up another notch or two there. <laughs> now, there you go. Didn't even have to ask him, I guess. And we rented a flat from Jane at her main house on the West Bank for $75 a night, which is just about what a regular hotel room on the East Bank. We had two bathrooms, three bedrooms, a lounge, a dining room, and two balconies. Wow. And we weren't being conspicuously consumptive. That's the size of all of them. All, you know, there's like five flats stacked. It was wonderful. It was yeah. magical. She arranged a car for us to get up to El Cobb and to pick us up at a certain time. Uh, when we wanted to go to the uh, East Bank, she arranged, she would call, a car would pick us up at the flat, drive us the mile or so down to the key. We get on our little private launch, be oh. taken across the river to anywhere we wanted to go that had a landing bay. I mean, we could get off at the Winter Palace, we could get off at Luxor Temple, we could get off at Karnak, any place that had a place where the boat could dock and we could get up the cliff, we could wow. go. When we got ready to leave, we, we had an Egypt phone. We would call the driver and tell him where we wanted to be picked up. And in 15 minutes, the boat would be there and the process would be reversed. And that was for a dollar a trip more than a taxi. Wow. Our own private launch. I felt so good. Oh, it's shameful how privileged I felt. <laughs> that is amazing. So uh, I wrote the book. It was, it's called A Killing at El Cobb. I read it. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. And we had a young woman, uh, a working Egyptologist, come to speak to Arcy about a year later. And she was raving about this book that she had just found called A Killing at El Cobb. Before <laughs> everybody in the room started laughing. And she's going, what? And they, and I sort of raised my hand and I said, it's my book. Uh, talk about feeling like a princess. She was so complimentary. She says, I knew it had to be written by somebody who had been there because the descriptions were too good. And I described mm -hmm. it every ward and blemish, except there were no dead bodies lying around. That's, thank you, God. <laughs> Never did see the ghost of Summers Clark. <laughs> I did go out and sit on his grave and talk to him. I guess he doesn't like forward American women. <laughs> so I have babbled on for about nothing forever. Talk to me. Tell me what you want to hear. Oh my gosh, you are amazing. That's the thing. I mean, we have to have you come back, obviously. Um, oh, I guess you. in all of this, you know, I have to ask, do you believe in reincarnation and do you believe that you lived in Egypt in a past life? And that is one of the reasons why you're so fascinated with it. Well, sweetie, I don't even understand this life, let alone other. <laughs> I, when I was younger, I believed passionately in reincarnation. Now I kind of do and kind of don't. It's, I'm not going to discount it. There's too right. much. And I have had too many instances that can't be explained by anything else. But on the other hand, I guess the older I get, the less sure I become that it is as we perceive it. I agree. And I don't think we can perceive ourselves while we're still in a physical body. Do you? Uh, yes and no. The, the older I get, the more I realize there are no hard and fast answers. 
so I, I tend to examine stuff more. I don't think reincarnation can be dismissed, but I'm not sure that in the form that we understand it now that I can accept it wholly. In other words, that's a great resounding, absolutely concrete maybe. <laughs> yeah, even I have to say I agree with that. And I think people are surprised. I mean, I like to write books about it, but you, you do start to, you can't dismiss like the idea of the multiverse or the collective yeah. consciousness. I, I guess here's a question some students have asked me though. Like, why do you think then that people, it doesn't matter, people around the world are mesmerized by Egypt. Do you think it's just the architecture or is it this internal fantasy we have? Or what do you think is causing this obsession with Egypt for people around the world? I have absolutely no idea. I can't even explain why I love Egypt so much. It just is something that about ancient Egypt that resonates with me. I can't even explain electricity, <laughs> but it's a, a, a convergent harmonic. If that means I lived there before, I guess I did. Uh, if that means that it just speaks to something deep in my subconscious, I guess that's so too. Right. This whole thing about, I guess reincarnation and perhaps even the spiritual world itself is sort of like five blind men trying to describe an elephant. <laughs> One touches the tail and says, oh, it's a rope. <laughs> One touches the leg and says, oh, it's like a tree. One touches the uh, side and says, oh, it's like a wall. Yeah. One touches a tusk and says, oh, it's a weapon. One touches the uh, trunk, and I've forgotten what he called it. It wasn't a rope, though. It was something. It's, it's, it's like a snake. It's the same thing, but we all have different perceptions of it. I think that's well said. I, I completely agree. I, I just think there's way too much unexplained. And, and people want me to pin down thoughts like that. I just can't. I tell people, look, I'm not God. You know, I don't know the mind of God. I mean, like you said, we're all grasping in the dark, mm -hmm. we're picking up pieces. If we knew it all, though, wouldn't that be so boring? I mean, I think it's part of the adventure to want to, to look. And the adventure is new stuff all the time, new, new sights, new experiences, new learning, new facts. Absolutely. Susan, but we have to have you back. We cannot codify the unknown with only a small slice of knowledge. And that as humans, that's all we are granted is a small slice of knowledge. Exactly. Imagine a, uh, okay, a, a 12th century monk who is uh, Brother Cadfile, who's making medicines and somebody comes in in a modern MICU, how would he describe it? How could he comprehend it? He couldn't. I told in one of the books, one of my earlier books was about the ancient Hawaiians, like the idea that um, of the people who lived in ancient Hawaii when the, you know, the people from England came to take over. The standing on the shore, 
And now these ships are coming over the horizon with sails. I mean, you've never seen anything like this before. And so it's said that for a very long time, the ships got very close to the shore before anyone was able to even perceive them because it mm -hmm. was, again, it's outside of their awareness of what reality is or is not. And I think that our lives are, are much like this. There's just, there's still so many things that we just don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, you know, that's part of the fun. Like in the 16th century, when the Spanish conquistadores came to Mesoamerica and they rode horses, the local tribesmen had never seen a horse, so they thought that this was one organism. The man and the horse were one creature. Oh my gosh, yes. And for some time, it was an order. I think it was, might have been Cortez, but I'm not positive. I haven't read it in a while. Uh, gave told his men that they were never, ever to dismount in front of a native. They had to keep the fiction going that man and horse were one organism. Yes, that kind of fiction is kind of what um, happened to Captain Cook when he went over to Hawaii. They all thought he was the god Lono. And then when they found out he wasn't, things kind of didn't go well for him. Yeah, yeah, so, 1757, I think. Yeah. It's amazing sometimes the trash facts that stick in your mind that have nothing to do with what you do or what you are is just there. Yes, we'd be great on Jeopardy, I think. And I can't remember important things like my mother-in-law's phone number. <laughs> oh, I hear that, my friend. Susan, you are a joy. We have to have you come back as soon as we can. Um, I would love to come man. back. As you probably have guessed, I love to talk. Great, you're in the right place. Tell us your main website where we can find you. Well, actually it's a bifurcated website. I have one website, but you can get there by two addresses. One is www.janissusanmay, and that's J-A-N-I-S, janissusanmayauthor.com. The other is www.janissepattersonmysteries.com, but they'll take you to the same sheet because it's uh, on this side is a list of all the Janice Susan May books. On this side is a list of all the Janice Patterson books. In the middle is my current letter to my readers. Um, I'm terrible about keeping it up. Yeah. I <laughs> and I'm, I promise I'm gonna be better, cross my heart. We will hold you to it. No, we won't. We'd rather you just continue to spin wonderful tales about exotic oh, thank places. You. Thank you. I'm thinking about another Egyptian book that Yay. is not so much ancient Egyptian history, but it takes place in Egypt. And it's got uh, a betrayed lover and a dirty bomb and all kinds of neat stuff. That's what we want. That's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been such fun. You're a joy for sure. Friends, we've done it again. We've done another episode of Healing Arts. So stay tuned next time when we will interview another amazing guest. Have a wonderful day. Namaste. Bye-bye, everyone. We'll be right back. Hey, dear ones, it's Dr. Shelley. So I mentioned a while back that I started a new online school. 
basically my travel schedule, as you know, uh, kind of got canceled this year. And so I converted a lot of my classes to the online format. And I have to tell you, this has been a complete joy and a complete blast. You can come on over and check the school out at healingarts.thinkific.com. And there you will find certification programs in Egyptian energy healing, my new Pythagorean healing series, and so much more with new courses being added all the time. And when you take one of my energy healing certification courses, you are invited to come on over to Zoom and join me personally for ongoing Zoom calls. And we have been having a complete blast. We've sent healing light out to people, out to animals, situations, the world, and everything in between. It's a great community, and I want you to join us. So check it out at healingarts.thinkific.com, and I'll look forward to welcoming you to a class very soon. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. I can't believe we did it. We've wrapped up another episode. So at the beginning of the show, I promised I was going to reveal something super weird <laughs> and funny that happened. So, you know, Susan and I are talking about all kinds of crazy stuff, as you heard. Um, and in the romance field, in the romance genre, you know, there's all these specialty romances. And so she had mentioned mail order brides. And so I swear that about 24 hours after we recorded this, I started getting emails from Amazon.com wanting to know if I would like to buy some romance novels that were about mail order brides. Uh, I've never read any of those, but I'm sure they're fun. But it just goes to show, I mean, they are listening. And I guess I'm, unfortunately, I'm not necessarily talking about your spirit guides and your angels. Apparently, other people are listening as well. So the other thing along those lines, while I'm thinking about it, one of my other best friends, who's also a fiction writer, she called me one day and she's, um, she said, Jesus is answering my prayers, Shelly. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, I was just talking to my husband about a white Cadillac. And all of a sudden it was in my newsfeed online. And I'm like, um, excuse me, dear one, but that isn't Jesus. Okay. That is, you know, the spying bots that are in our computers. And she's like, oh my gosh, you're right. So anyway, it just makes me laugh. I hope it makes you laugh. There's nothing we can do about it at this point. We are being surveilled, so we can have a good laugh about it, or we can cry. I choose to laugh and have fun with it, so I hope you will too. But meanwhile, okay, on, on a more wonderful note, um, I hope you have an amazing week. Please take time to get outside in this beautiful spring weather. Enjoy yourself. I hope everything's going okay for you and yours. Just know that you are always in my prayers, and I'm always sending you all the best now and always. And I will very greatly look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of Healing Arts. Namaste.
Hey friends, I want you to check out my Past Life Lady YouTube channel that has tons of free videos that teach you how to do all kinds of things from energy healing, gem and mineral healing. I've got guided imagery up there for you. So check it out. Just go over to YouTube and type the words Past Life Lady in the search bar and hit subscribe. And I'll look forward to welcoming you over to my channel today. Thank you.